All right, thank you guys. Uh, this is uh, week two of our summer series where we are uh, diving into one thought. I do this every year during the summer, something I really look forward to because we're able to kind of go into depth of a single topic, uh, whether that be a story in the Bible or a book in the Bible or a, a character in the Bible, and really pull some deep truths out of that. And so this year we are uh, moving into what I've entitled the comeback. And we talked about, last week I introduced this, I talked about how uh, we all are in series or seasons of our life where we have um, maybe drifted off from what we're supposed to do. Maybe we've not been living out our faith the way that we know that we should. Uh, maybe we've been kind of disobedient in some areas or maybe in a lot of areas. And, uh, and we all have, whether, uh, whether we are uh, in the middle of or maybe at the first beginning stages of or maybe just finished, a spiritual comeback of some sorts. Because you're here this morning. This may be your very first step of your spiritual comeback. I hope maybe that is. Uh, maybe some of you are just interested in maybe what that even looks like and how that plays out. And so uh, that's what we're talking about over, uh, over the next couple of months because, you know, we all have these issues in our life, these sin struggles that we, that we kind of sometimes we dabble into and maybe it's a combination of a number of different things that we do that kind of pulls us away from where we know we're supposed to be, creates some distance between us and God. Or I said last week, sometimes we just cannonball in, right? We just no holds. I was really expecting uh, the McGahey boy to cannonball into the baptistry this morning. And if you've known Rhett long enough, you know that's kind of a possibility. And so some of us, some of us do just that thing. We just kind of just head first, dive in and, and kind of forget the consequences, forget what's going to happen with us. And, and we kind of find ourselves in a place that we never wanted to be anyway. If, if you think about the, the, the wandering moments of your life where you've kind of gotten off, of, off track of what you know is right, what you know is holy, what you know God wants, and you've, you've separated yourself from that. When you look around, you go, this is, this is crazy. Why am I even here? This is, this is the dumbest decision I've ever made. And so we want that, and we have this need for this kind of draw back to what we know we're supposed to do, draw back to stop playing games and stop playing that religion and stop placating God and all the things that we know to be true about him and really get back to the truth of what Scripture says and what God says for us. Last week, uh, we kind of introduced the topic in 2 Kings, and we talked about what got us in the position to begin with. What gets us in our spiritual exile, if you will, that's the, the, the terminology we're using. What gets us in our spiritual exile? And we're, we're looking at the Israelites in the Old Testament. We're looking at how they uh, experienced a lot of disobedience. They did a lot of things they weren't supposed to do. God exiled them, kind of kicked them out of the promised land, kicked them out of, uh, out of Jerusalem and everything else. Uh, and then he allowed them to come back. Well, what, what got them in that place? And we learned, just like them, we got ourselves in our own spiritual exile, right? We are the ones who made those decisions. We are the ones who distanced ourselves from God. God didn't come along and change the rules. He didn't flip the script. He didn't, he didn't mix things up just to surprise us. We, through our own course of actions and decisions, made distance. And just like the Israelites we learned last week, they are the ones that kind of got themselves in that position as well. Remember the Bible used words like stiff necked, right? They were pretty obstinate. They were pretty set in their ways of this is what we're going to do and we're not going to listen. We, in the same breath, choose sin. We choose disobedience. We choose to do the things that we're not supposed to do and we move out of God's will and provision and protection of our life and we cause that distance. And so, 
Uh, this summer, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about how do we come back from that? How do we get back to right relationship? And we're going to look at uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which kind of chronicle the Israelites come back. This is them coming back into Jerusalem after the years of exile, after generations of disobedience, uh, and then uh, finally God allowing them to come back in. Uh, we'll look at how they, uh, how they did it. That We'll look at their focus in it. We'll look at some of the obstacles that they faced through it. And hopefully we're going to learn a lot about our own life as well. So if you, if you think about last week as the backstory, think about this week as the beginning. How do we begin this process? And I told you last week, I kind of gave you a 50,000 foot overview of, of biblical history in about two minutes. And so it was really fast. And some of y'all said, I, I heard even this last week, said, I went back and watched that again so I could catch it all. Okay. I'm not going to review that, but what I am going to give you is a little bit of understanding of where we are. We went from Abraham to exile uh, last week in two minutes. And then this week, we're going to kind of figure out what's going on in this exile story. I think I've got a timeline on the screen. Mark, can you pop that up there? Okay, so this is uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. This is where we know Jerusalem to be. Last week, we talked about the northern kingdom being taken by the Assyrians, right? The Assyrians come in, they take over. Uh, they were not able to, to conquer the southern kingdom, but the next major power the Babylonians did. Okay, The Babylonians come along, they take over everything, the northern kingdom and a lot more, and they come all the way down into the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, This is a couple, this is about 100 years after the, the northern kingdom fell. Northern kingdom fell in 722. This is now about 606, so we're about 120 years later. Uh, this Babylonian captivity comes in three waves. Okay, think of it as them kind of bringing their army in and getting a little bit and getting a little bit more and then finally taking it all over. And that's what's listed on the right, left-hand side of your screen with the deportations of Judah. It's a fancy word. It just means the three waves that they were kicked out. 606, 597, and finally in the year 586, Jerusalem fell. And that's a big deal. If you read all through your Old Testament, God promises that he's going to protect his city. He's going to protect his people. And because of their own disobedience, Jerusalem falls. Babylonians come in. Uh, remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He's the one who's leading the charge here. He destroys the temple. He destroys the town of Jerusalem, and he kicks everybody out. That was his mode of, of understanding. You, you destroy the towns, you destroy the religion, and you, and you deport the people. That's how you take over a country. And so this is exactly what he did. These waves happen at 606 with, with uh, Daniel. Uh, and then 597 is the book of Ezekiel. You can read that. And finally, like I said, 586, Jerusalem falls. The temple that Solomon built is no more. This incredible, this, this huge structure, this expensive, covered in gold and overlaid, and all the doors were overlaid in gold, uh, the interior holy of holies that had the Ark of the Covenant and everything, it's gone, destroyed, and rubble. And then what we see in the dip of our timeline is the exile. That's 70 years. The people of God are out of Jerusalem and then if you see that little tick in the, in the beginning part of that up, up tick is, I think that's five, what does that say, 539. Uh, the next major world power takes over, and this is the, 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 uh, the kingdom of Persia. Okay, They call it Medo-Persia. Uh, Persian king, uh, his name was Cyrus the Great. 
uh, comes in. He takes over Babylon and all things that Babylon held, which means that he now is in control of Judah and Jerusalem as well. And then we see these three returns. Uh, Zerubbabel was a governor. We're going to read about him maybe next week. Ezra and Nehemiah. This is where people are allowed to come back to Jerusalem. And what's incredible here is that God knew this 70-year exile, this little dip in Israel's history. He knew this was going to happen all along. He knew this was going to happen. Matter of fact, Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 25 tells the Jews that they would serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. He, he said this 20 years before the Babylonians took over. He knew it was going to happen. There were, the handwriting was on the wall, right? He saw the Israel's disobedience. He saw Jerusalem's defiance against God. And he knew the Babylonians were coming. Like, hey, these guys are about to take us over. And we're going to be out. And he says, prophetically, 70 years. This is something God knew. He, he put a timeline on it that nobody else had ever done. It's a pretty incredible moment. Then, like I said, Persian king comes in, takes over everything, and he does something absolutely ridiculous. Let's read Ezra chapter 1. This makes absolutely no sense at all, but we're going to see how God works through it. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. And then Ezra records the proclamation. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. Anyone of his people among you May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And all the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now, a couple of things I want you to know out of this proclamation. Number one... This is not the first year of Cyrus's reign. In all, in all history, he's been reigning for about 10 years in Persia. He's been kind of ruling this country that's gaining in momentum and gaining in power. He takes over the Babylonians. It says in the first year, Cyrus, king of Persia, made a proclamation because that's the first year it actually affected the Jews. When he took over Babylon in that first year, he did something crazy. Number two, it almost feels too good to be true. Like if we were making up the Bible, if I were just writing a story and uh, we were, Jess and I went to, uh, we went to away for the weekend for our anniversary this weekend and she, she's, I wish I could read as fast as she can read. She's way smarter than I am. Uh, and she's, she's reading this book and she, I think she started on it on Saturday and she finished it like Saturday two hours later. Okay, that's how fast she reads. I am an incredibly slow reader. She's reading it and she goes, oh no. And I said, what? She said, I've got it figured out. I'm three chapters in and I've got it figured out. I was like, seriously? It's like, it's, it's a, it's a, like you can, 
she's I'm gonna finish it, but I've got it figured out. And she's reading over there. I'm just driving. Uh, I'm not even gonna tell you about how I got lost because that's embarrassing. But I was driving, and the next thing I know, she just closes the book. She's like, "Yep, I figured it out." And I said, are you done already? And she's like, oh, yeah, I finished it. And I was like, well, were you right? She said, yeah, it's kind of disappointing when you know the ending before it actually even happens. I was like, well, I guess so. If I were writing a book, this is how I would write it. Okay, God's people, you know what, they they get a little disobedient. God kicks them out. But, oh, this guy says you can go back. For no reason at all that would not help his kingdom grow, to not help his person at all, he's going to let you go back. If we were making up the Bible, that's what we would do. And everybody would go, oh, yeah, that was kind of predictable. But what we see here is we have all these extra biblical writings, things that are outside of Scripture, historical documents that back up and prove what just was said in Scripture actually really happened. Here's the picture on the screen. This is called the Cyrus Cylinder. This is, uh, this is in the Museum of London, uh, the British Museum in London. Uh, it was discovered in 1879 and is dated 539 B.C. This is a historical written document that is, you see the little lines on it, uh, that is, is inscribed on it. And what is inscribed on the Cyrus Cylinder is word for word what we just read in Ezra chapter 1. This is incredible. This is something that history is proving. Yeah, this is what this king actually did. It's a Persian artifact. So this is not something that the Jews got and made and kind of fabricated. This is from Persia. It's got a lot of other stuff on it. But on that cylinder is inscribed this proclamation by Cyrus the Great. Over and over again, what we see happening in Scripture is the things that we go, that's crazy. That doesn't even make sense. History goes, oh, yeah, it actually really happened. Here's other documents that support it. And so when I read this, I go, okay, number one, it's not Cyrus' first year, but that's, that's okay. We can understand that. This proclamation doesn't make any sense at all. And if you're Persian, number three, it makes very little sense. This is a very bad idea. Who takes over land and then goes, hey, you know what? You guys, just come on back. It's not a big deal. Matter of fact, I'm not only going to let you back, I'm going to let you back with gold and silver and livestock and treasure. We're going to supply you. We're going to finance you. And we're going to make sure you're pretty, pretty well off when you get back to the land that we're going to give you. That makes absolutely no sense at all. Struggled with this. Why, God, why out of the blue would you allow your people to get back home? I told you we're going to draw from biblical experience into our own. And it's like it just hit me. As much as this Cyrus decree seems out of the blue, isn't that exactly how God works in our life as well? Like we're just living and doing our own thing, living life how we want to, maybe knowing better but not really caring. We're just going to keep doing our own thing. And then out of nowhere, it's like everything inside you goes, you know what, i got to get back. i got to go back to what I know is right and true. I've got to go back home. I, I can use Shelton as an example because he's not here. You guys need to pray for Shelton. He's got COVID. Uh, we've been praying all weekend that Lauren would not go into labor uh, because he wouldn't have been able to be there. And so I think tomorrow was his last day of, of, of quarantine. So uh, keep praying that she uh, holds on and doesn't, doesn't do anything crazy today or tomorrow. Um, Shelton's a great example of this kind of out of the blue moment, right? 
Shelton grew up in this church. Most of you know this story. He, he was a, a kid in our student ministry. He, he was at every Wednesday night, every student camp, every fun event. Shelton was just there. He had moppy Justin Bieber hair back then, and I like to make fun of him for that now. Uh, he went through a phase where he went real moppy, and then he got, he got ripped. Like, Shelton is a strong guy anyway, but he got really defined and muscled up, and we kind of uh, had to kind of stop teasing him about his hair because we were afraid he was going to beat us up. Shelton uh, went through our ministry all the way through high school, graduated, and then he just kind of did his own thing. He had a few years that we've all lived, right? Some of those moments where we just probably could wish we could take back. And then one day I was in the student room on a Wednesday night, matter of fact. I was kind of getting some stuff together, and my phone rang, and it was Shelton. I hadn't talked to him for three years, maybe. And he says, hey, man, I, I, I'm driving a bait truck, which is part of his story, and it's the best part. I'm driving this bait truck, and I was listening to the radio, and a song came on the radio that we used to sing in the worship band on Wednesday nights. And, man, I just feel like God's telling me I need to get back. Could I, could I just come to Wednesday night service? I don't need to help. I'm not in a position where I need any kind of influence. I just want to come back home and be there. I was like, absolutely, buddy. Come on. You guys know the rest of that story. He comes. He kind of starts figuring some things out. He and I have some really great conversations. He meets a girl named Lauren, who he's like, hey, hey, hey. And I said, you better step it up, buddy, if you think you got any chance with her. And so he did. He really dove into what God had for him. The next thing he knows, he's engaged. He's getting married. He's moving. He's doing uh, ministry. He went to Australia for mission work. He went to India for mission work. He comes back here. They end up having a baby and then going to Boston for two years to be missionaries, sponsored by our church, all from an out-of-the-blue phone call one Wednesday afternoon. Man, I just feel like God's telling me I need to get back. We've all got stories like that, right? We can all say, yeah, man, I was wondering, and I did this, or I was doing this. I, I grew up in church, went to church every moment there was a church moment. I didn't care if it was senior adults or, or youth or babies. I had to be there. My parents made me go. I never really connected the dots spiritually. In three months' time, God called me to ministry and had me leading like a bad news bear student ministry in Perrin, Arkansas. I had no idea what I was doing. Out of the blue, God begins to work in our life. And I, I was reading this, and I was like, this is exactly what's going on in Ezra. It seems so out of the blue, so unpredictable, and what feels like it doesn't make sense. Never, never really is the case when it comes to God. God's got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger plan for our comeback than we can ever really imagine. When it feels like it doesn't make sense, it doesn't have to make sense to us. It makes sense to Him. He's got a different perspective on our life and when he begins to call us home I think some of us just need to listen Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 44 no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and for many of us man we maybe we're in the middle of this this kind of stiff-necked moment of our life this disobedient moment of our life but we can hear God saying hey you need to get this taken care of you need to get back to what you know you're supposed to be doing. Some of us need to listen to that calling. It's probably not going to come by an official decree on a clay cylinder from 2,000 years ago. It may not even come by a song on the radio, but one way or the other, you're going to feel that God moving and calling you, and you need to listen. Look at these next verses. This is incredible. Verse 5. 
Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts. should underline that phrase at the beginning of verse 5. Everyone whose heart God had moved. See, not everyone's going to listen when God calls. Some of us have gotten real good at ignoring the voice of God in our life, right? We know that we need to come back. We know that what we're doing is incorrect and, and is against what God wants for our life. But we just tuned him out. I was telling a story this morning at men's breakfast about how uh, Jessica's grandparents, when we were first engaged, we'd go over and see Morgan and Vern. <laughs> and uh, Vern was just, she was just always doing something, talking and whatever, whatever. And Morgan would just be sitting there smiling, just nodding his head. And I... And we're like, okay, and, and she'd, she'd just keep talking, and we were having a conversation, and Morgan's just sitting there smiling. He's not saying anything. He's just smiling. And then she got up and went to the kitchen for something, and Morgan looked at us and went, and turned his hearing aid on. He goes, oh, I can't listen to that all day. What were you saying? And just had a couple, Some of us have turned our hearing aid down when it comes to God. I was like, you are my hero right now in this moment. <laughs> listen, some of us, we've, we've just tuned him out. We've, we've learned to not listen. And he's trying to get our attention. He says, listen, everyone whose heart God has moved means that not everybody's going to listen when it happens. As a matter of fact, many Israelites didn't go back to Jerusalem. We're going to read this later in the story. They stayed where they were. They, they were captive in a foreign land away from God, away from home, and they chose to just stay there. So let me say it like this, church. Your comeback doesn't have anything to do with anyone else. Your friends don't have to come with you. Your family doesn't have to understand it. Obviously, we want them to come along. We want them to have their own comeback story of their own, but God's not going to hold you accountable or to the standard of what everyone around you is doing. God's going to hold you to the standard of what he called you to do. God's not going to hold you the standard of what everybody else is doing. He's going to hold you the standard of what he called you to do. Collectively, as a church, we need to come back. But it happens personally. It happens individually. It happens in the heart of whom God moves. And the question has to be asked, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't the Israelites want to come back? If this is the perfect scenario, right? You can come back and we're going to load you down with gold and silver and livestock and treasure. Come back. What we're going to see is that we've got to remember it's been 70 years. This may be all that some people have ever known. It's important to remember that they were deported, but they weren't enslaved. As a matter of fact, if you read through Second um, Kings and Jeremiah, both tell us about King Jehoiakim, who was Judah's king. He was treated well by the Babylonian kings and by the, the incumbent um, Persian kings. He, he was given daily rations of food to eat. He didn't have to worry. He, wasn't, he was treated very well. And what we're going to read in later, we don't have time to get into that now, but the story of Esther... Some of you know that story. The story of Esther happens between the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And in the story of Esther, we see a man named Mordecai, who's a Jew who's in a great standing in his Medo-Persian community. Has a lot of power and a lot of influence in that area. These, these Jews who had been kicked out had settled. And everything they knew was wrapped up in the world they were living in. To uproot that. To go back to this kind of broken down city, this demolished temple and to leave everything comfortable and normal was a very big decision for them. Listen, it's the same reason why many of us never experience a comeback of our own. Right? We, we're used to life as we know it. If we change, that means like everything would change. We'd have to give up a part of ourselves. We'd have to walk away from maybe some relationships. We'd have to not participate in some of the activities that we used to or that we still like to participate in. And if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us say, I don't, I don't really want to come back. I know that what I'm doing is wrong. I know that what I'm doing is not what God wants. But to change that means I have to give everything up. Sometimes it's really hard to pull back to what we know. So what, so what we do is we want our feel-good moments, right? Instead of really changing anything, we just come. Maybe we come to church a couple of weeks in a row. Maybe we, maybe we serve somewhere. Maybe we give a little bit of an offering or whatever we do. We want this, this feel-good moment, but we don't want a life change moment. Those feel-good moments are just Band-Aids. Real life change is when God heals us. So some people, those who God moved in their hearts, some people prepare for the comeback. The Persians supply them, right? They give them all this stuff. And then look what Cyrus does next. It's, it's crazy. Verse 7. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out all the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. So remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king. He's the one who came in and actually destroyed the temple. He's the one who came into Judah and Jerusalem and kind of took over first. And he carried off all this stuff out of the temple. I told you the temple was an incredible structure. We, we did a study on Wednesday nights, an adult Bible study, maybe a year ago, uh, about David and about how David and Solomon prepared to build the temple and all this good stuff and about the amount of money in today's terms the temple would have cost I think it was around $21 million. And to, and to put that back into their world is just this incredible, uh, incredible amount of money to build this temple. And so what we see in 2 Kings chapter 24 is Nebuchadnezzar coming in, and it says that he emptied the treasuries of the temple. And then in the next chapter, 2 Kings chapter 25, it talks about one of Nebuchadnezzar's commanders burning the temple to the ground taking everything out of it, breaking down the walls of Jerusalem, moving the people into exile, uh, breaking up the bronze pillars, stands, bowls, taking pots, shovels, wick trimmers, dishes, and sprinkling bowls, all of it out. He, he gutted the temple and tore it down, burned it down. And so all this is back in their little headquarters at their little pagan god temple. And Cyrus says, hey, you know what? Not only am I going to let the people go back, not only, not only are, are I going to tell you guys to give them stuff of your own, I'm going to give them everything that Nebuchadnezzar took to go back with them as well. 
chapter 1 of Ezra even lists all these things out. This is verse um, 8, 9, 10. Um, it gives an inventory of those gold dishes, silver dishes, silver pans, gold bowls, uh, all these different things. It, it says all in all uh, 5,400 articles of gold and silver. And now here's where I'm going to pause you for a second. Because if you're reading that list in Scripture, which I hope you are, if you do the math, that doesn't add up to 5,400. Right? It says there's like a thousand one thing, another thousand of something else, and then we're down in the 400s and 10s and 30s. Okay? There's a lot of conversation around that verse in Scripture, that, that verse uh, 11, and all there were 5,400 articles. Because people want to nitpick things and go, oh, well, they, they missed the number. They didn't add that right. That must mean Scripture is not true. And if you read through um, commentaries or things, there's going to be a lot of opinions about this verse. I'll just tell you, they're opinions. But I think, I think these guys who are way smarter than me, I think sometimes they lose the forest because of the trees. Right? They're, they're only focused on this one thing. I don't care if the Persians don't know how to count. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Some people say, well, they, they return things in the waves. Remember that little map had Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. And, and by the time it was all said and done, it was 5,400. I don't care. I think there's a neater and a bigger and a more personal lesson listed in those things. What was lost was restored. Don't miss the bigger picture there. When we, through our own personal choices, experience a spiritual exile, when we, when we distance ourselves from God and we lose some things, right? We lose a clear picture of who we actually are. We lose close relationship with the Father. We, we, when there's distance in that relationship, sometimes it's hard to hear God, we lose the ability to hear Him. We don't talk about this very much, but when we step outside of God's will for our life, sometimes we step out of God's protection and God's provision for our life as well. And in certain those areas, we make decisions that carry consequences that we don't like. Some of us in our exile have lost relationships and friendships. We've lost influence and we've lost credibility. We've lost social power or social influence. We've lost family. We've lost careers. We've lost money. We've lost all kinds of things like that. And don't, don't misunderstand me. God can use those consequences to teach us and to mold us into something that he wants us to be. But how dare we blame God for the consequences of decisions that we made when we chose to lose some things. The Bible tells us over and over again that when we come back, the things that we lost, He restores. Jeremiah 30, 17 says, I will restore to you health and heal your wounds. Isaiah 61, 7 says, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion, right? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, He will Himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There is restoration in the comeback. And please hear me. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying come back and you get everything you lost. That's prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying come back and you'll get everything you need. 
There's a big difference between what you need and what you want. Sometimes there's a big difference between what you need and what you lost. But there's restoration in the comeback. This is what God is in the business of doing, restoring people. It may not look the same. We're going to get to that. When you think about the temple, I'll have pictures in a few weeks of what all this looked like. When you think about the temple of, of God that Solomon built and how extravagant and huge and incredible, it was just one of the wonders of the world when they built it. When this group of people come back and they finally do get around to building the temple, it looks like a shack. It looks like a, it's not even a mini version of what the big one used to be. It's just this little, know-nothing building. God restored it, but in his way. See, sometimes we think, well, if, if I come back, that means I'm going to get my family back, or I'm going to get my life back, or I'm going to get my job back, or I'm going to get my marriage back. I've been doing all these dumb things. I've been doing all these wrong things. But if I come back, the Bible says God's going to restore it. He will, but it may not look like it used to. You'll have everything that you need. He's in the business of restoring your needs. Here's my last thought, and we're going to be done. I'm almost out of time. We could end it here, right? We could end it after all the articles of things that are being returned, all the things that Cyrus is allowing them to do, the exiles coming back, offering restoration, offering second chances, and really we'll get into third, fourth, and fifth chances as we go through this before the end of the summer. Before we go, I want us to look at another passage of Scripture because this is what is so incredible in the story. If you go back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 44, um, verse 24 says, this is what the Lord says. Okay, so he sets it up saying this is what God is speaking in, through the prophet of Isaiah. And this is what he says. Look, at, it should be on the screen. Verse 26. Who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers? Who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited? Of the towns of Judah, they shall be built. And of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry and I will dry up your streams? Who says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd and I will accomplish all that I please he will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. Of the temple, let its foundations be laid. If you were to keep reading in this uh, chapter, the next chapter, chapter 45, Isaiah writes about the Lord taking Cyrus's hand to subdue nations and level mountains and break gates. He says in 45 verse 4, For I ask of Jacob my servant and Israel my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not Acknowledge me. You read this and you go, Cyrus. All the way back in Isaiah 44. If we know our Bible, well, that's obviously, he's talking about Cyrus the Great, what we just read in Ezra chapter 1. He's talking about this Cyrus decree that's going to allow them to come back and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild its towns and rebuild the foundations of the temple. This makes total sense. Remember when I said that God works in ways that seem out of the blue to us but are not to him? Let's look at our timeline one more time because this is incredible. I've, I've moved it over just a little bit, okay? So you see the returns. I cut off Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel, Persia, 70 years of exile, and the deportations. But you see that line all the way to the left? 
all the way to the left, 687 B.C., we know that Isaiah dies. 687 B.C. This means when Isaiah wrote this proclamation from God in Isaiah chapter 44 and called Cyrus by name, it was 170 years before a pagan king named Cyrus did anything to allow God's people to come back. You want to talk about God being in control of things that you can't see and that you can't figure out? You want to talk about God having a plan to bring his people back before his people ever rebelled in the first place? You want to talk about God orchestrating history before history came to be? This is Isaiah chapter 44. 170 years before Cyrus, and anybody named Cyrus, even comes on the scene. Church, let me tell you something. Don't you think if God can orchestrate the man's name, that he can orchestrate things in your own life? Don't you think that you can trust him in the process of the comeback? Don't you think that you can, you can see exactly what God's been trying to orchestrate in your own life if you would just listen when he calls you? To come back. Listen, all of us can sit back and go, man, I wish I would have known this, this, and this. I'd have come back sooner. God is working things out in your life right now, orchestrating the events of your comeback. You just have to listen to him. 170 years Cyrus has been in the making. 170 years God was ready to move in the heart of a king that made no sense to anybody else. This doesn't even compute to anybody else. And Isaiah, when he's writing it down, has got to be thinking, who in the world is Cyrus? I don't even know that name. I'll write it down, God. You said to. 170 years later. I believe some of us, God is calling by name. I believe He's speaking directly to our hearts and he is calling us out of disobedience, out of our spiritual exile, out of our distance from him, back into right relationships. He's calling us for a comeback. And I believe with everything that he has a plan for your comeback. That he is waiting for you to listen and he is orchestrating events that you don't even know is happening in the background of your life to allow you to come back in this moment. Would you stand with me? TJ's going to come and sing and Brandy's going to play and we're going to have a moment of invitation. This may be for you. It's your opportunity for your first step in your comeback. Some of you have been fighting it. You've been trying to figure out how you can tune out the voice of God. It's time, I believe, that you just listen to him. Say, okay, God, whatever you've got for me, I don't have to know the backstory. I'm going to trust that you've got the backstory taken care of. Maybe for years you've been working me to this moment, time for a comeback. If you need to come and pray, you're welcome to do that. The altar's always open for that. If you need to come talk to me, I'd love to talk to you. But maybe you just need to, in the moment, in the stillness of where you sit, just say, okay, God, I'm going to listen. 
I'm not going to run from you anymore. I'm not going to tune you out anymore. I'm, I'm ready to get back to what you have for me. I'm ready to be rebuilding some things. I'm ready for you to restore some things in your own way. I can't wait to see how it's going to play out. I'm just going to listen to you. Maybe you saw the example of baptism this morning. You go, man, I, I need to do this. I've never been baptized. I don't know if I'm even saved. I would love to talk to you about all those things. Church membership, salvation, baptism. Listen to what God's calling you to in this moment and be obedient to that. He's been working you to this point for a long time. Don't miss the magnitude of that. Let's pray and then you respond. Father, we love you and we thank you for today and we thank you for the moment that you've brought us to right now. And God, when we look at the story of the exile's return and Cyrus and 170 years prior, God, it doesn't make any sense to us. It seems so out of the blue. And God, I know that you and your sovereignty is just going, no, this is exactly how I planned it. And so God, for some of us this morning, we've been struggling for a while. And we've been tuning you out for a long time. And, and maybe today, for the first time, we're going to just listen we're going to be obedient. We're going to, we're going to surrender some things. We're going to die to ourselves, And we're really going to follow who you are and what you have for us. And so, Father, help us today to take the first step in obedience. The first step in our comeback. So we're going to listen to you. We're really going to listen. And then we're going to do whatever you call us to. God, help us to respond to your calling. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that needs to come and talk, come and pray, God, let them do that. This is your moment to work in our hearts. Father, help us to listen. God, speak clearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys sing as TJ leads us.